Well, today is Mother's Day, if you haven't heard. <laughs> today is Mother's Day, and uh, that's not a church holiday. Um, uh, we've got a whole calendar of our own for the church. Next Sunday is a church holiday. It's called Pentecost, so, so come back for that. But uh, Mother's Day is not a holiday in the church, but everybody's got a mother. And uh, in fact, if you are a church person, if you're a churchgoer, if you're a member of the church, you actually have two mothers. Because one of the things that Christianity teaches is that the church is our mother. And uh, this, this idea is not ex- uh, stated in so many words in Scripture, but it's uh, implicit. And in fact, it was developed uh, by the early church. Um, and by about the second century, the middle of the, the sorry, the middle of the third century, the 200s, um, uh, one of the leaders in the church uh, form- formulated it this way, a man named Cyprian of Carthage. He was a African uh, leader, and he was actually a martyr uh, for the faith. But he put it this way. He said, you cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. Now, uh, Cyprian said said that. Uh, he didn't just make that up. It's just not some idea that occurred to him. He actually was reflecting what the church believed at that time and still does believe. The church is our mother. And they, they got that from uh, the writings of the New Testament leaders, of the, uh, the writers of the the writers of the New Testament, the leaders in the early church, uh, people like the Apostle Paul, who we heard from earlier today in our passage. So they put those pieces together. They tried to reason what it is that the Scripture said. And one of the things that they said is they said, the Scriptures teach us that the church is our mother. Now, what does he mean? What, what does it mean that the church is our mother? What does it mean, you know, should we send the church a Mother's Day card or take her out to lunch or whatever? You know, what does it actually mean that the church is our mother? Well, to understand that, we have to kind of stand back a second and say, what do we mean when we talk about Christianity generally? Uh, Christianity is unique among among world religions because there's this idea in Christianity that that uh, is at odds with... Every other faith system I'm familiar with, um, there may be some others, but uh, the ones that I've, I've studied, the ones I've looked at even casually, they're different because what they say is uh, they, they teach you what to think or what to do in order to be acceptable to God or the, the spirit of the universe or whatever it is that they believe. They say there's a certain way you have to think, there's a certain way you have to act in order to be acceptable to this this God or this higher power. You have to do these things in order to be acceptable. Christianity says no. That, that you are already acceptable to God, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Christianity says that's just there for the taking. It's, it's yours to take or not. It's, it's up to you. It's not required of you. Um, God's not going to, you know, come down and twist your arm until you do it, but it's there if you want it. And it's a free gift from God if you want it. You still have the other option. You can, you can try to earn your way into God's favor. But so far in the history of in the history of humankind, only one person has done it. That's Jesus. Nobody else has done it because it requires utter perfection, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year, including the years backwards, the ones that are oops, you know, sorry about that. Uh, you can't do it. And so Christianity says, well, you're right, you can't do it. So Jesus has done it for us. So you still have the option if you want to be as perfect as Jesus for your whole life, including the part you've already lived then good luck with that. But Christianity says a smarter approach is available to you, which is to accept the grace that, that Jesus offers us, that we can be acceptable to God because of Jesus. So, so that's kind of Christianity. And 
what comes out of that is, if I am already acceptable to God, if I don't have to, to do any particular thing to become acceptable to God, then there are no rules. Right? I don't have to obey a certain set of rules. I don't have to go on a pilgrimage. I don't have to climb a mountain. I don't have to say a certain prayer. I don't have to donate money to my church. There's all kinds of things I don't have to do. There are no rules for Christians because we have found favor with God, not because of what we did or will do or what we failed to do or will fail to do, but because of what Christ has already done. There are no rules. Now, if you grew up in a church if you know church people, if you've been around church people, that may be a novel idea to you because it may not always come across that way. Christians may not have communicated perfectly that total freedom that Christianity has from rules. In fact, you may have thought Christians are a bunch of bossy uh, 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 people who put their nose in your business and tell you what to do with your life. Maybe that's the perspective you've gotten of Christians. And if so, I want to assure you, you're not the first people to do that. It happened 2,000 years ago in a place called Galatia. Galatia is, is a, one of the many places that was visited by Paul, who wrote the letter we heard earlier. Uh, Paul wrote uh, to this set of churches in Galatia. Galatia was a region in what is now modern-day Turkey. It's uh, the central part of Asia Minor. And Paul went around. He was a leader in the early church. He went around... Um, uh, starting new churches, telling people Jesus has been raised from the dead, and there's all kinds of great implications of this good news. So he would start a church, and they'd 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 kind of get going, and then he'd move on to the next town and start another church. And unfortunately, what happened is no sooner did he do that than people came in behind him and said, "Oh, good, I'm glad to find out that you're Christians. Now you need to start obeying a bunch of rules." And uh, the Galatians are kind of going, "Well." I don't remember Paul telling us anything about having to obey rules, but you know what? We better obey them just to be safe. But they wrote letters to Paul saying, hey, FYI, some people showed up here and they gave us a bunch of rules, so you'll be happy to know we're obeying these rules. And Paul writes this letter back saying, don't you do that. Don't you obey rules. If you obey rules, you are being a slave. He says, Christians are not slaves. Christians are free. He says, Don't go down that path. And in fact, he says, he ends the section we heard today. He says, he says, um, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't let people come along and tell you that to be a Christian, you have to obey a bunch of rules. Don't do that. So that's what Paul says. But the way he said it can be a little perplexing because Paul uses... In the section we're hearing here today, in this letter, he uses what's called an allegory. And the word allegory originally meant to speak in riddles. And um, and as for reasons that will become clear, um, it originally meant to speak in riddles. But it developed over time and it became a part of the way that uh, rhetoricians would speak to one another. And by the first century, it was a very popular way of having an argument. And, and so uh, the people, in particular, the people who had come along and said, obey all these rules, they loved argument by allegory. So Paul says, you like allegory so much, I'll give you an allegory. And so that's what uh, we hear in the book of Galatians. Paul says, I'm going to give you an allegory. But what is an allegory? An allegory is like a comparison, but it's not a comparison to a simple thing. It's not a, it's not a comparison, something is like this or something is like that. It's a comparison to a story. So it's more complicated. So let me give you an example. If I say life is like a box of chocolates, 
That's a simple comparison. You say, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? You know, I got the nutty thing and you got the coconut thing or whatever, right? So, so life is like a box of chocolates. It's a simple comparison. But if I say life is like the Forrest Gump movie, it's like, what does he mean by that? You know, you're born, you have a handicap, you learn to run, you have a childhood sweetheart with the whole story of tragedy and, and redemption and, you go to Vietnam and Lieutenant Dan gets his legs shot off and, and where do you stop? You know, what does this even mean? How can I relate this to anything and make sense of it? So that's why an allegory is troublesome because you don't know really how much to do with the allegory. How, how far can I take this comparison? So that's the problem with an allegory. But Paul says, let's go with the story you know. And he's been talking earlier in this letter, he's been talking about Abraham. Abraham is the first person in scripture who is described as really leaning into the idea, look, I'm not a great person, but God is a great God. And so instead of it all being about me, I'm going to lean into God. God has said, do this. God has said um, that he will take care of the rest, and I'm going to lean into that. So Paul says that we should be like Abraham. We should lean into God's promises, not into our own behavior. But he says, now, let's consider an allegory from the story of Abraham. And he says, Abraham had two sons. He did. He had two sons. The first was named Ishmael. And Ishmael, he says, was the child of, um, was the child of Hagar. Hagar was a slave girl. So, uh, 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 Abraham's wife, Sarah, said, sleep with my slave and then I'll have children that I can have, you know, to, to, to take care of me in my old age. And God says, okay, you did that, Abraham, and now you've got a son, Ishmael, and, uh, I love Ishmael. I'm going to take good care of Ishmael. Ishmael is going to be uh, uh, the father of 12 rulers. He's going to be the, the founder of a great nation. I'm going to bless him. He's going to be fruitful. But he's not the child of the promise. He's the child of the flesh, and I'll take care of Ishmael. I've got a story with Ishmael. But he's not the one we're talking about, Abraham. He says, your son Isaac, the one who hasn't even been born yet, is the child of your wife, Sarah, the child of the free woman. And this would have been known to Paul's audience and Paul says, there you go. We are the children of the free woman. We are the children of Sarah. Now, that may not be convincing to you. Like I said, allegories have kind of fallen out of fashion. We don't use them very much anymore for argument because we don't find them particularly persuasive uh, today. But Paul is talking to people who would have found them very persuasive. The rest of the letter of Galatians is much more kind of geared to our sensibilities about how you make a point. But he says this, he says this because he knows his audience will go, well, I guess, I guess that's true. And particularly, notice what he says. He says, he says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. He says, there's a place where these people are coming from. They're coming from Jerusalem, the, the actual Jerusalem in the Middle East, the city, you know, in, in Israel where there's, you know, temples and so forth. There's people who come from there and they're all about the rules. He says, that's where they're coming from. But he says, freedom comes from the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem, that's one of the phrases the early church used to describe itself. You know, they were still kind of working out their vocabulary. Sometimes they call themselves the brothers. Sometimes they call themselves the way. Sometimes they call themselves the disciples or the assembly or, or the church. They have a lot of different names for themselves. And one of them is the 
Jerusalem above or the heavenly Jerusalem. And there's actually some questions. If you want to dig into that and look at some of the places that that language is used, you can you can find it in the the program. There's some questions you can dig in there with. But this language, the the idea of the church being the heavenly Jerusalem, the the that the the children of the church, the Christians are the children of the church. The church is our heavenly mother. This is what Paul's talking about. And this is one of several places in the scripture where you get this idea of the church being our mother. So that's kind of where we're we're coming from. But what does he mean? Well, he means exactly what he says. In fact, he begins by saying, he says, he says, um, he says, my little children for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying that, that mothers bear children. That, that, you know, you occasionally hear a story about somebody who just, uh, became a Christian all on their own. They just were walking down the street one day and they became a Christian uh, without any intervention by the church. They just, you know, whatever their story is, they became a Christian. But that's not the usual case. Most of us become Christians because of somebody in our life who already is a Christian. Somebody who's already a part of the church, who in a sense, they don't, they don't make us Christians, but they are, they're involved in the birthing of a Christian. So, so the, the church has always understood the church has a role in giving birth to new children, that we're involved in that. Paul uses that same language here. Churches, uh, mothers, what else, what else do churches, the church as a mother do? Well, what else do mothers do? Mothers feed their children. And we see several places in the scriptures, uh, New Testament writers talk about, um, solid food versus milk. They say when you're a baby Christian, there's just some basic things you need to hold on to. You need to hold on to the idea of, of, uh, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. You have eternal life because of Jesus. That's kind of the, the milk of Christianity. But he says there's there's harder things, things that you're going to have to chew on, things that are going to really be kind of difficult to, to swallow, things like love your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you, things that are harder. So there's kind of easy lessons that the church teaches, and then there's harder lessons that are going to take some maturity to be able to get to that place. So they use that kind of language. The church is like a mother because it teaches us um, or it feeds us. And somewhere in there, there's kind of a fuzzy line. The church teaches us. You know, you think what mothers do, right? Mothers teach us how to uh, how to walk, how to talk, how to you know go to the bathroom, uh, potty train us. Uh, uh, mothers teach us not to hit our siblings. Mothers teach us those sort of things, and and the church teaches us all those things as well. Don't hit your siblings. But most of all, I think the the the, the aspect of the church we encounter is mothers nag us. You know, mothers, I mean, they do, right? I mean, if you've had a mother, and all of you have, uh, what, what did your mother do? You know, she encouraged you, or she, she rebuked you. She, she said, I don't like that friend of yours. I wish you wouldn't hang out with that friend. Or, or, um, you know, they're no good. You shouldn't be with them. Or she said, you could do so much better. Or she said, you should be a doctor. Or whatever it was, mothers encourage us. They rebuke us. And that is, I think, the problem a lot of people have with the church is they see that and they mistake it for rule keeping. Because Paul says flatly, Paul says flatly, this is the generation, we're going to start doing that as his generation comes up. It's going to be totally interactive here. I have no idea how we're going to do that. But, um, but, uh, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Ask me the question, okay? But not now. Um, so, so, so mothers, mothers encourage us. Mothers, push us further than we want to go. And what I love is that that is such a human thing that even Jesus 
had a naggy mother. You know, we, we heard the story, the story of the wedding in Cana. Jesus says, it's not my time. This is not my problem. There's a wedding here. There's about to be a social disaster. These people did not get enough wine. Everybody's going to look down on them. Jesus says, yeah, but that's not my problem. And his mother says, you could do so much better, Jesus. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't. What she does, though, is that she turns to the staff and says, he's in charge of the wine now. Okay, so, so Jesus does his first miracle in response to his mother's encouragement. And I think Jesus is, that's part of how Jesus has scaled down to our level. You know, the, the God who, who moves galaxies has truly become human because he allows himself to be encouraged by his mother to do something that he really wasn't planning on doing. That, that it wasn't something he expected to do when he went to that wedding. He lets his mother tell him what to do. Now, his mother had no authority to give him rules. Uh, Paul would have agreed here. Paul would have said, don't put on the yoke of slavery. But your mother can give you advice. Your mother can nag you. Your mother can tell you, don't hang out with people like that. Your mother can encourage you because that's what mothers do. So, what's the application? Well, the application is, it's very hard to be a Christian up on a hilltop by yourself. I mean, some people maybe do, but they probably don't go as far as they should because they don't have a mother to encourage them. You know, they have this great experience of God. They're up in the mountain. They see and they just, oh, this is so wonderful. And it kind of, that's where it goes. Uh, every time I'm up in the mountain, I see God and that's great. But so what? But when you're part of a local church, when you belong to the church, the church, your mother, can encourage you, can rebuke and correct you because she's your mother and we listen to our mothers. So listen to the church. Be part of a church. Be part of that. Telling the people around you, uh, speaking into their lives as collectively their mother, encouraging them to go further than they want to go, in further, uh, further than they expected to go, trying harder, getting back up again, trying a second time. Be that kind of mother for the people around you. And then one last thing is to remember whose children are the children of the church. See, I think a lot of the reason the church has a bad reputation today is because the church has been a mother or tried to be a mother to people outside the church. We've tried to tell them what to do instead of attending to our own children. We get it exactly backwards. Instead of instead of talking to our friends and saying, you know, you need to stop that or you need to start this, we tell people outside, you guys need to stop this or start that. And that's not what the scriptures call us to. The scriptures call us to love the people outside the church. And we, we remember that. The lady down the street, you know, my friend's neighbor, my, my, my neighbor's mom, you know, he'd invite me over to his, her house and their house and she'd have cookies and I kind of, you know, you, I wish, I wish my mom was like that. He'd probably wish the same about my mom, right? Because, because you love people outside your family in a different way than you love people inside your family. So the church is called to love the people outside the church one way. But inside the church, to love her children by encouraging us and nagging us the way that Jesus got nagged by his own mother. So, Christianity is not about rules, but it may look like that sometimes. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't let anyone put a yoke on you. Christianity does not have rules, but it does have a mother, and you should listen to your mother. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that we are not uh, babies, uh, uh, alone by ourselves trying to figure out how to move along and 
and, and get up and walk and do all the things that babies do, that you have put us into a family, the church. And we pray for the, the, the church as our mother, that it would be effective in nagging us and encouraging us, not just feeding us, but actually pushing us to do things that are uncomfortable or maybe challenging so that we can become the kind of people you want us to be. And Lord, as we do that, we pray that we'd be effective in loving those outside the church and not making them think that Christianity is about rules. We pray all these things through Christ our Savior. Amen.